Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. All right. Well, good morning, House family. My name is Jeff Hazel, as Pastor Stephen said. My wife and I have been serving here for the past six years. We've done a few different things over the years. So we started off on the first experience team. Where's my first experience team at? Let's go. We led Framework for a couple years. So if you haven't done Framework, would highly encourage it, though I guess I'm biased based on saying that we were involved for a couple years. And then we do lead the Relate Hub. So the Relate Hub is all of our life groups that fall within the Relate category. And so we love life groups. Life groups have been a big part of our story here at the house. And we even wrapped up our marriage life group this week, did a Friendsgiving at our house. It was a good time, some good food. So we are excited about all that's going on here at the house. Well, if you haven't met us yet, I am going to make my wife stand and wave. She hates this. But Hannah, uh, she comes up on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, She does a lot here at the house on those days, kind of volunteering her time uh, with some event planning and some stuff behind the scenes. And as you might have noticed, we are expecting. So we are having our second son in January. Uh, That puts us at 31 weeks for anyone starting to do that math. I'll just help you out. Um, But we are excited. And so we do have a two-year-old son, James. He's been a huge blessing. He's a handful, don't get me wrong, but he is a huge blessing. Well, I can't wait to share what God has put on my heart for today about this topic. But I do first want to honor Pastor Stephen and Katie. We have great pastors here. Uh, We are so thankful for that. They do so much for us. But I think the one thing I want to emphasize this morning is their genuine leadership, really how they lead us, not just from the stage, but in life. They live what they talk about and how they pursue God, even when it's not easy, even when they're going through some things. Uh, They lead us in how they think about and handle their marriage. They They will be transparent. Pastor Stephen will talk about moments that they have in their marriage, but he really leads us in how we can invest and view marriage the way that God views marriage. The same is true for parenting. And really, it is true for how they approach ministry. They don't just do ministry on occasion, but they show us that ministry is a lifestyle. And so that's something that we really believe here. You see it even in our staff. And so if you would, just let's honor them this morning. Um, I appreciate them. Awesome. Well, as Pastor Steven said, we are kicking off a four-week series called The Generosity Plan. And my title today is Money Talks. But before we jump into that, let me pray for us as we get ready to hear what God has for us today. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to be in your place and worship you this morning. Lord, we thank you that you're already moving in this place. And we pray that Uh, you would just speak to us this morning. We pray that uh, you would give me clarity and my words just to communicate what you've put in my heart about this topic. Lord, I pray that all that we do is glorifying to you today. All right, amen. When we talk about money, what comes to mind? I think everybody probably has some thoughts. Maybe it's good thoughts. Maybe it's bad thoughts. Maybe you're feeling something. Maybe because we're sitting in church, you're thinking, oh no, I came on the day that they're talking about money. That's right. Unfortunately, no, not unfortunately. That is what we're doing here. And, and the reason that we do that is because we do want to be very intentional. See, uh, we can joke about it, but if we as the church aren't able to talk about money, then where are you going to get your advice? Where are you going to get your perspective 
on this. And it's such an important topic. See, there might be many things that come to mind. Maybe you think of, you know, maybe your mind goes to that thing that you've always wanted, but you've never been able to have. Or maybe you think of conflict. We have disagreements over money, disagreements over how we're going to spend our money, especially in marriage, even as Pastor Stephen mentioned in the video. It's a really common issue in marriages, and it's why it's so important that we have the right perspective. Maybe stress comes to mind. Maybe you immediately go to the pressure of money that you need to pay bills, to make ends meet. Or maybe you do have a lot of money, and so there's stress over managing that money. Maybe you have a business. Maybe there's a payroll that you're on the hook for. Maybe as we end the the year here, maybe there's year-end bonuses that you're on the hook for. And with that comes a lot of pressure and stress. Whatever it is, I think we're all feeling something. There's some thing, some emotion that comes to mind when we consider money. So it is important that we evaluate what is our perspective on money. See, our world is really good at influencing our view of money and our circumstances in particular can influence this. And if we let it, if we think about just our world today, right? If your perspective is dictated by what is going on in the world, consider your perspective now versus six months ago. Interest rates are insane for mortgages. They've over doubled in that span. There is inflation, inflation every, the news is constantly talking about inflation, gas prices. There's all of this narrative and maybe rightfully so for our worldly perspective that things aren't good from a uh, money perspective. And so if that is our foundation, we're not going to be seeing it the way that God sees it. God isn't shaken by all that is happening in the world. And so I even think about my own life and different seasons in my life where my perspective has changed about money. See, I grew up in Conway and I've talked with my parents about the season, but there was a season where uh, we didn't make a lot of money. And thankfully, we always had a place to stay and we had food to eat. My parents did good being frugal with what we did have. But what comes to mind about this season for me is Hamburger Helper. Any Hamburger Helper fans out there, you know, even as I say that, I can almost taste it, right? So it's good stuff. It's good stuff. But so what was interesting about this is when I uh, got to college, another season where I did not have a lot of money and I was on my own trying to figure out food, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to find something that is cheap and easy to make because I certainly was no good cook and I was looking to save a buck. And so I'm perusing the aisles at Walmart and I come across Hamburger Helper. Come on, I'm fired up. I'm like, that's it. This is exactly what we need. It's $1.50 for a box. I think I grabbed three, got a few other things. I get home. I'm super excited. I tear into that box and can you believe it? But they forgot to put the meat in there. Now, I, I promise I'm not as much of an idiot as this makes me sound, but I just never thought about it. You know, I thought there's a picture of the noodles and the meat. This is why they put on packages like XYZ is not included. I needed it really big there, meat not included. Uh, I was surprised to find out that Hamburger Helper did not come with the meat. Uh, I see now why that was so ridiculous for me to think that it would be in the box. But with that, right, there was, a, there was an understanding that I didn't have. There was a perspective on Hamburger Helper that was flawed. I thought it was a better deal than it was. I should have known that it was a bit, uh, a bit um, uh, over-optimistic to expect to get five servings for $1.50. But the same is true about money. See, we can have a flawed perspective. We can have something about the understanding that is missing and so we want to really dive into 
how God views money and what should our understanding of money be. See, the Bible doesn't frame money as this neutral thing just used for exchange, but rather it's a very spiritual thing. See, money is spiritual. Think about the feeling you get when you spend money, when you buy new clothes and then you wear those new clothes, you just feel a little bit better, right? Or when you have a new car and you're smelling that new car smell, it's just the feeling of, it's a smell of better. Uh, maybe it's when you get the large seven brew drink, right? There's feelings, I hear you, Devin. There's, there's, uh, there's feelings you get, right, when, you, when you're purchasing something. And, and while all that is okay, you've got to be careful that it's not too rooted in uh, how we spend our money being our perspective and kind of our value of ourselves. See, money is a heart issue and it is spiritual. So it's important that we have the right perspective. And again, the right perspective is a biblical perspective. So what does the Bible say about money? The Bible says a lot about money. I don't know if you knew that, but there are 2,300 verses in the Bible about money, wealth, and possessions. Jesus spoke about money or possessions in 16 out of his 38 parables, and it was his most talked about topic. In fact, there are twice as many Bible verses about money than there are faith and prayer combined. Why did Jesus spend so much time talking about money? See, we can look at Matthew 6, 19 through 21 and start to get an idea here. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Say that with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus spoke about money, not because he was obsessed with it, not because he wanted us to just amass and hoard as much as we could, but because he knew that this was a heart issue and that it was one of the most likely reasons that someone would choose not to follow him or choose to stop following him. See, he knew we would have trouble with this. He knew that because it was a heart issue, it would get in the way of our hearts. So I want to actually look at a story about a man. He's known as the rich young ruler. This story is in Mark 10. It says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You know you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20, the man says, teacher, and he's already failed the first test. See, Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. That was his chance to say, that's why I call you good. But instead he says, teacher. He starts to focus on the fact, if we go on in verse 20, that I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him and said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad for he had many possessions. See, the sad thing here, it's a heartbreaking end to this part of the story where Jesus wasn't after his money so much as he was after his soul, after his heart. And Jesus knew that his money was in the way of his heart. So it was 
in asking him to do this, that it was revealing about truly where his heart was on the topic and that he wasn't willing to give it up. The same is true for you. He's not after your money. He's after your heart. And for so many of us, our money gets in the way of our hearts. See, I know in the room, there's, a, uh, there's many different final financial situations. I understand that. But we do all live in the United States. And so we are rich by the world's standards. And so as we even think about that, and especially here in Northwest Arkansas, again, I know this isn't of everyone, but there is a lot of middle class in Northwest Arkansas. And I've heard it said that middle class puts us in a really dangerous spot because we're not so locked into poverty that we know our desperation, but we're not so wealthy to know that nothing will ultimately ever satisfy. We make just enough to continue to pursue the next thing. Maybe it's the bigger house. Maybe it's the acreage that you've always wanted. Maybe it is that new car. Maybe it's that next vacation. Maybe it's so you can go to the steakhouse and get that filet mignon. Whatever it is, right, there's kind of, it's easy for us to always have our sights on the next thing that we want. And uh, the way this puts it, right, it's scary to us that we could have just enough or, or have the ability to potentially make enough to continue chasing it. And it's a very scary place to be. See, people can obsess over money regardless of how much you have. You could have a little and you're obsessing over how you're gonna make that next hundred dollars to make ends meet. You could have a lot and you could be obsessing over how you're gonna manage a lot or maybe what all you're gonna do with what you think is a lot. And everywhere in between, we can easily find ourselves thinking a lot about money in today's society. And even as I say that, I wanna be really clear that God doesn't hate wealth. He just wants, I mean, he does want to see you increase. He wants you to see the good gifts that he's given you. Um, but he wants you not to have fulfillment in it. We've got to be very careful that our fulfillment and our joy and our happiness doesn't come in money or how we spend our money. See, it's easy to think, oh, if I could go do this or if I could go buy that, then I'll be happy. And so you do that and maybe, maybe you do feel happy for a moment, but then you've got to get more money so you can feel it again. And if that's kind of the cycle we're in, that's where this becomes very dangerous. See, we want to be a church that views money the way God views money. And so once we understand that it is a heart issue, now what? So here at the house, we are very intentional to give you chances and to be uh, focused on growth. That so we want to see you take steps of faith and see you rewarded and grow from it. And we do this with marriage. We have marriage life groups. And in those marriage life groups, right, we're going to talk through really practical applications that if you apply them to your marriage, you're going to see your marriage grow. The same is true. We have parenting life groups. We have leadership life groups. And even in leadership for life groups, not only can you learn leadership concepts, but then we give you, if you plug in here, the chance to serve, to lead teams and really grow in that and develop and maybe find yourself doing things with the church that you would have never thought you could do. See, we are very intentional to give you steps. And so if we know that money is such this heart issue and something that there's so, it's so important that we continue to view from a biblical perspective, well, we see that we are called to grow in this area. And with this, we are doing this series on generosity because we want something for you, not because we need something from you, right? Because it is the heart issue. We want your heart to be ministered to. And so we want you to understand what is available to you in this space. Pastor Stephen talks about five areas of financial awareness. I just want to break these down. I think they're going to put an image up. But as we look at these five areas, it starts with struggling. So struggling 
is that you are not making ends meet. There's bills unpaid, quite literally, it is a struggle. And so if you start to think that that's where you are, maybe your next step is that you need to sit down, make a budget, and figure out how ends are gonna meet. What do you need to cut? Where, where do you need to shift around spending so that you are gonna make ends meet? And I think from there, you can start to move into more of what is surviving, which perhaps if you find yourself there is paycheck to paycheck, you're making ends meet, but it's stressful every month. And so maybe your next step is to reevaluate your budget and make room for more margin and for tithing. And so tithing is what the Bible calls our first and our best. And we believe here, in the, here at the house that that's 10% of all that we make and that there's actually a freedom in tithing because it's stepping into obedience of what God calls us all to do. I've heard someone say that um, they couldn't afford to tithe, but they also couldn't afford not to tithe. And I think that principle, right, if you can step into obedience, you'll start to see that this is a freeing experience because there's a supernatural uh, power in tithing. And so maybe you are tithing and maybe from there, your next step is to move into being generous. See, we think that generosity is meeting the needs of others as you can above and beyond the tithe. And this might look like someone you hear about that had an unexpected bill, a medical bill. I heard about a family just this weekend who lost their house to a fire. And so maybe it's being having the flexibility to hear about a situation and meet a need. And, and it's in that that you can start to live that lifestyle of being generous. From there, you can move to extremely generous. And this, I argue, you know it when you see it. This is giving that is so selfless that the world doesn't understand. Like if they knew all you were actually giving, that they would think you're crazy. They would truly think you're crazy. They would not understand why you would give so much. Think about all that they could do for themselves if they weren't giving that much. Like that is kind of the world's mentality on this. That would be extremely generous. And see, the Bible is very clear that generosity is the goal. We can look at 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming of age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, I found that last phrase interesting, the life that is truly life. And I looked into it. So Paul here has in mind that living the life God has called believers to live is one that is filled with the spirit and focused on kingdom priorities. And that the best life is one lived to serve other people. Uh, on this concept of generosity, uh, we can look at 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The Bible's clear, we must be generous. And so to that point, we can make a statement with our money. And there's a saying about this, money talks. Look at somebody and say money talks. So maybe you've heard this said in conversation. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't, the idea is that money, money's motivating, that you can say things just in how you spend or give your money. And 
really there's a lot of influence that comes in money. So I want to get into this. If money talks, what are we saying with it? Well, first we have to understand that where we put our money reveals what we value. See, you want to know who is getting your first and your best? Look at your calendar and your bank statement. And you'll actively see that you're making a sacrifice to something. I'll say that again because I think, I think it's good. If you, if you know, or if you look at who is getting, sorry, if you want to know who's getting your first and your best, look at your calendar and your bank statement. See, you can say really easily with your mouth that your faith is a priority and that you love God. But if how you spend your time and how you spend your money isn't indicative of that, you really need to ask yourself, do I? See, it's a, it's a tough question to ask ourselves. And it's, it's a lot easier to say it than to live it. And to me, this reminds me of something that people talk about, work-life balance. It's a buzzword in the corporate world. I'm going to go on an aside about this, but stay with me. So when we think about work-life balance, to me, it really means priorities. See, I believe that you should always have two to three things that you're going to prioritize above work. And as I say that, it doesn't mean that you don't work with excellence. I've actually spoken about working with excellence here at the church because we are called to work for God and not for man. But what you can do is you can work with excellence and still have priorities that are above work. And for me, when I'm talking about this with my coworkers, and I like to really dive in on this concept with the folks that I mentor and manage at work, I like to emphasize that you, you have to not only say what those two or three things are, but then be really clear about how you're actually prioritizing them. Not just that they're priorities, but how are you prioritizing them? And so I share what that looks like in my life. So first is my faith. My faith is important. I want to be able to always stand up and say that my faith is important. So tactically speaking, that means spending time at church, spending time involved with what we're doing here at the house, connecting with people, connecting with the ministry. And what that looks like pertaining to my work is I've taken off three or four days, use vacation days, to be involved with what we're doing here at the church um, this year. And so when I do that, it's a chance for me to point to it and say to my coworkers, well, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm excited about. I'm going to take the day off. The second thing I share is that my family is a priority and that what that tactically looks like is spending time, quality time with my wife and my son. And this has evolved in different seasons, but there was a time where Hannah had been asking me to do this workout class with her. Uh, and she had asked me a bunch of times and I had continued to say no. And the problem was that I, it wasn't working out. I'm okay with the idea of working out. It was this class that was the problem. See, this class, there was two problems I had with it. One was it was at five o'clock on Mondays and Wednesdays, which was just going to be inconvenient for work. But the second was it was at the Bentonville Community Center, and it was about 95% women. And I don't know about you, but that just wasn't what I was thinking was my ideal workout setting. And that's how I had viewed it is, I, you know, this isn't the workout I want to do. But then I shifted my perspective and I realized that, hey, this is two hours of my week that's normally a busy week that I could be intentional, say yes to Hannah's request and spend that time together. So it wasn't about the other 90% of women that were there. It was that 5% that was Hannah that I was getting to spend the time with. And so I was able to talk about it with my coworkers, like, hey, don't schedule any meetings after 4.15 because I've got to get to the gym and do this class with my wife. And what that looked like is sometimes I'd have to catch up on work later in the evening, but I could juggle things around and prioritize that time. The third thing that I share 
and intentionally more lighthearted, especially because I'll have this conversation with uh, folks that aren't believers or maybe don't have family at work, is that I'm a Razorback fan, okay? Well, if you're a Razorback fan, you have to watch or attend games, or are you really a Razorback fan, right? I mean, you, you, gotta, you gotta watch and be invested in the moment. Now, here uh, in Northwest Arkansas, it is officially basketball season, because I don't know if you know, but our football team's been a little disappointing so far. So we're just moving on, football season's over, we're on to basketball season, we're gonna be great. But no, basketball season comes 5.30 games, where if I'm gonna make it to Fayetteville, I'm gonna park, especially now that we have James with us and we're gonna do all that it takes to get everybody into the arena on time. I've gotta leave work early, so the same story. I've gotta find a way to juggle around time, make it to the game so that I can follow through on what I say is important to me, which is being a Razorback fan. And again, it's lighthearted. I know, obviously, I'm not putting the hogs on a pedestal, but it is something that we enjoy and now enjoy as a family, so it's something I'm gonna prioritize over work. And so all that was an aside, and it was for free, but I share it to make a great illustration, I hope, and a challenge even for you in your own work life of how you can act on what you say as a priority, and it ties us back to how we spend our money. Because if we say it's a priority, there should be something that doesn't just say it with our mouth, but says it with our actions. So I want to look at Luke 16, 11 through 13. If you are untrustworthy with worldly wealth, who will you trust with the things, the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? See, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So when we look at where our money is going, what does it say? I want to share, so for Hannah and I, you can look at our bank statement, where we spend our money, and there's a few things you would learn about us. The first is you will learn that we like Mexican food. You could seriously look at our bank statement, and in some weeks you might think, did they only eat Mexican food? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. We love Mexican food. I, you know, in my defense, there's, there's different kinds of Mexican food. There's Tex-Mex, there's authentic, there's like the taco stand. So we switch it up, of course, but Mexican food. And I think what was really revealing about this is when one of James's first words was queso. We knew that maybe we were taking him to eat chips and queso, perhaps a little too often. The second thing you would learn looking at our bank statement is that we really like Walmart grocery pickup. I don't know if you've used it. It's super convenient. I would recommend it. They don't charge you any extra if you want to use it. But in fact, Walmart changed their slogan over this initiative. It used to be saving people money so they can live better. And now they say saving people time and money so they can live better because they realize that there's value in offering people time and saving time. Uh, a third thing looking at our bank statement that you would learn is that we are Razorback fans. Of course, I already talked about this. But if you know me, you know I'm a fan, but you wouldn't have to know me by looking at our bank statement or our budget because there's a line item that says Razorback tickets. If we're going to spend that money, we need to save it or budget for it. And so it's in there. There's no arguing it. We're going to be Razorback fans. But now the fourth thing uh, that you could learn looking at our bank statement, and I tell you this with honesty, is that we like to give. Um, you will see, if you're looking, you'll see our recurring tithe you'll see that we give above and beyond to advance this ministry. Last year for Exceedingly Abundantly, right, we were talking about that the Lord had more for our church and in this building that we were 
planning for and budgeting for. And so we were all challenged, right, to pray and think about what does that mean? How do we go above and beyond the exceedingly and abundantly? So Hannah and I prayed, and I'll be honest, the number that we both felt like was, was in our hearts was not something we were comfortable with. And it did take steps of faith and really praying through it to be able to move forward with that. But, you know, now we get to look at this space. We get to see the more ministry that is happening and see that there is, uh, we are truly turning that money into ministry. And there's a, there's a uh, blessing in following through with that. Again, looking at our bank statement, you'll see uh, that we support our full-time missionaries in Belize through Be The One monthly. Uh, and you'll see that there's several other families that are full-time ministers that we support monthly that rely on that monthly support to be able to do the full-time ministry that they do. And I, I hope you can hear my heart in sharing this. It's not one to boast about all of those things, but rather to show that we are personally committed to this. That we believe it. I'm not just telling you that this is important, but that we are truly following through on it. And what I just described is not what it looked like when we got married, but it's been a journey Every year we've taken steps of faith. And it's, one, it's an area where I could confidently say that the Lord's way works. You know, we talk about this, that, that there is a biblical way of doing things and it's often counter to what the world says to do. Uh, but if you do it the Lord's way, it's truly better. There's a song we even sing on stage that's it's so much better your way are the words, right? And every time we sing this, it's just the reminder to me that it's true. Despite what my flesh tries to tell me, it's better his way. And even as I say all this, see, Pastor Stephen and Katie challenge our people here at the house to find ways to be more generous every year, to take steps in this area and to give more. And so it's not even that Hannah and I can say like, we did it. We arrived, check. It's no, what's next? And the same is true for you, right? Considering what is next. See, the first statement you can make with your money since money talks is when you give to God, you say that you want to be involved in his work. Again, because we turn money into ministry. The second understanding that you should have is that money has great influence over others and yourself. Ben, you can go ahead and start to come up. And as we talk about this, see, this is where the, the phrase money talks really is most used. It's, it's that money is influential. And it's particularly influential over others, right? It's persuasive. Think about the question, right? What, have you ever asked somebody, would you do this for a million dollars? Would you do that for a million dollars? And it's normally something crazy, but normally it's, it's, it's a conversation. You're considering it because you know that a million dollars is a lot of money. You know what you could potentially do with a million dollars. It is motivating. There's even a show called Fear Factor that the grand prize was $50,000. Now, I don't know if that's surprising to you. I, I would have thought it had been higher, some of the crazy things that they did or the nasty things they ate on that show. But the grand prize was $50,000. Now, yes, it, it is a lot of money, but it's not a million dollars. Like we're not talking crazy, crazy. And so it's motivating. People did some insane things. And as silly as some of those can be, the point is it's, right, we can motivate people. We can influence people and in what they would do, maybe to do things they otherwise wouldn't do with money. I think scarier though is to consider the influence that it has over yourself. See, money, because it is persuasive, we see, right, we talked about it earlier in Matthew that um, our heart follows treasure. So if we aren't careful, right, we'll quickly get our hearts 
twisted on this topic because it can lead us. So the question, right, is where is, where is money leading you? Maybe it's leading you to fear. Maybe it is that your perspective is I need to keep all that I have to make everything work, to be able to afford everything I need to. And it's a posture of fear, right? The enemy will stop growth in this area because we're scared to take risk. Maybe your money leads you to pride. Maybe you do have plenty and you're in a season of abundance. And if you're not careful, you'll look at that and it'll take you to pride. You'll think it's all that you've accomplished, all that you've gained, and you won't give the Lord his credit, right? If we're not careful, we'll see what we could do with our money and not what the Lord could do with our money if we have that prideful perspective. I've heard it said that we will either worship wealth or worship with our wealth. We wanna worship with our wealth. See, 1 Timothy 6 through, or 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. A couple words I want to call out. One, it says love of money, not just money. Common misconception, but maybe you've heard that. The other, though, is that it says a root of all kinds of evil, not the root, which again is an important distinction here. But the point of this verse is that if, if we love money, it's going to lead us to a place that's going to have influence over us to take us where we don't want to go. But if we're careful to make sure we don't love money and we see money with the biblical perspective, then we can go where we need to go. So giving can keep our heart in check. And so with that, the second statement you can make since money talks is when you give to God, you say that you love God more than you love yourself. As I share this, I'll be honest that this is not always easy for us, right? There are times where is a decision we've already made and we're going to give and it's leading us. But then there's times that my flesh distracts me with what we could do with our money. And so if I was basing our decision to give only on our feelings and our flesh, then I would all too often make the wrong decision. The, the decision that is not what God has called us to do, not the biblical perspective on money. But see, because money is influential and we can lead ourselves with money, then it actually has the power for good. And, and I'll illustrate. So let's, let's use the cross over there and it's Jesus. It's the Lord's way. As we give, it continues to, we will follow our treasure with our heart. And so it pulls us this way. And if I do allow myself to stop giving, then I'll quickly turn and I'm going in opposition of what the Lord has called us. But if I give again, then it continues, it's that intentional decision that I'm gonna take steps this way even when I don't feel like it. And so this is our story. I mean, Hannah and I have decided that we're committed to this because we've seen what it can do in our own life. Even if we've gone through seasons and right, we're about to have another baby, with that comes more expenses. It would be easy for us to think, well, maybe we need to dial back on giving because we're about to be buying a bunch of diapers. But instead, we've got to keep it up. We've got to keep moving ourselves towards what, the God, what God has called us in that area. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the House website. We hope you have a great week.